0: We've been doing a series of seven signs that are marked out in the Gospel of John. We haven't done them in order, <laughs> and this morning's is number six. I don't, can't. I don't even know how many more we've got to go. <laughs> One more to go. Oh well, it's in the right, it's in the right place then. It's number six, and it's the uh, story of the healing of a man born born blind. Now these seven signs at the end of. John's Gospel he writes down these things are written down so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name and if you read this what the scholars say about the original language of that it can mean both bringing people to belief so those signs are written so that you come to believe in Jesus Christ, or it can also mean that you carry on believing. So you're a believer and this is to encourage you and to keep you in, in that faith in Jesus. So I hope that this will speak to all of us this morning, wherever you are in your journey of faith. The signs point to characteristics about Jesus that um illustrate how he is the Messiah he is the anointed one of God sent to bring salvation to people and to bring in the kingdom of God this sign of the healing of the man born blind is in chapter 9 of John's gospel you might if you've got access to your Bible app you might want to have it this morning because I'm going to refer to various different parts of the Bible I'm sorry I don't use a Bible I've got a big book (laughs) I find it easier reading pages (laughs) Just to put it in context, this um, occurrence happens in the second year of Jesus' ministry. You know that he, he was in ministry um, from, uh, for three years after the age of 30 till he died when he was about 33. And this is during the second year and it comes uh, at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles was possibly the most popular uh, feast in the Jewish calendar. Now that might have been because it sounds like it was a really good party to me um, what they were doing was remembering the time when the Jews were wandering they were aliens in a land not their own when they were uh, running away from Egypt they were at the exodus from Egypt and they were in the desert so during this festival uh, people built shelters they used branches and leaves and did a bit of den building you know like you do in the woods or something like that but obviously they were doing it all together so they were having a right fine time They also um, gave thanksgiving for the ingathering of the harvest and for um, they were looking forward to God coming in in, by his spirit, bringing his kingdom in. So there was quite a few elements to this um, festival and uh, certainly it was to encourage people and it was was a, a time of rejoicing. Two things were very significant during this time. People would go up to Jerusalem to celebrate so that they were near the temple. And in the temple, every day, um, water would be poured on the altar of the temple um, to, as they thanked God for the provision of rain so that, that made the harvest grow. And light was very significant as well. So there would be lots of light um, lighting whatever they used, lamp lighting, that'd be better. Um, And lights were lit in the temple so that the whole temple um, shone um, with uh, bright light, even in the dark. And without water or light, of course, there would have been no harvest. I know this for a fact because we have two allotments at home that are completely overgrown with weeds. And the only way I've been able to get rid of the weeds is to put weed stop down, which stops the light getting to the ground. It allows the water through. But even with water and no light, nothing grows under the, this plastic stuff that you put down to stop the weeds growing. Um, underneath the ground was completely clear after 18 months of this weed stop being down. So light is essential for any growth and uh, life. It was for Jesus a dangerous time this second year. Of, well, ongoingly, it was a dangerous time. The Jews, the Pharisees in particular, who were the teachers of the law, were looking for ways to discredit him and to put a stop to his ministry, mostly because of their, their interpretation of the law, which the Jews lived by, was different to what Jesus was teaching. A lot of it was around uh, the Sabbath, and how the Sabbath should be kept. Um, as far as the Pharisees were concerned, Jesus worked on the Sabbath, so he couldn't be of God because that was against the law. And that included healing people. You could heal people on the Sabbath, but it had to be life-threatening. Well, Jesus often did healings that weren't, they weren't life-threatening in the sense that somebody was about to die, but they were life-threatening in the sense that those people's lives were completely um affected by what um, was wrong with them they also accused him of working when his disciples picked ears of wheat off the side of the field that was how petty and small their their the minutiae of their laws had got down to and Jesus um, around about this time had openly accused the Pharisees of being children of the devil so you can see there's a lot of tension in the background here. It is a dangerous time for him. Some, a few of the Pharisees were not sure. They thought surely this only somebody from God could do these sorts of things. But um, a lot of the Pharisees said he's of the devil. He's a deceiver. So in this um, couple of chapters before we find this miracle, um, everybody's going up to Jerusalem for this feast of um, tabernacles. Um, and his disciples are trying to encourage him to go because they think he should be public about what he can do. This, you know, you are the son of God. You should be showing people that. Let's, let's present you. Let's bring you up to Jerusalem and, and make the most of this. But Jesus knows that it's not the right time. He's, he listens to God. He's listening to his father and he knows the time is not right. So he lets everybody else go off up to the um, festival and he stays behind in Galilee apparently. And about halfway through the week of festival, he takes himself secretly to Jerusalem. So not publicly, but as a, you know, incognito individual. However, he does start to teach in the temple courts. So how long he stayed secret, I'm not quite sure. (laughs) I suspect it was soon apparent who he was. But on the last day of this week-long festival, The rituals are finished. The last of the water has been poured onto the um, altar. The lights have been put out. Jesus announces to people in general, though many who are around him, that he's teaching, that those who believe in him will have living water that will never fail. And I think when we testify to what Jesus does in our lives, you can see, then that he's just the timing is just right there are things that just relate to something particular in our lives and this this is obviously referring and and helping them connect with what the water means to them in their festival and what the water from god's spirit means to them the next day after the end of the festival we're told is a sabbath so there will still be a lot of people around because they weren't allowed to travel very far on sabbath Um, and That next morning, Jesus announces, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of light. That's in chapter 8, verse 12. So that's where we're at with this story. And I'm just going to read to you um, the beginning of of this section, which is the actual healing of the man. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. That's a word which means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing His neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he just looks like him. But he insisted himself, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? they demanded. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know. We'll read the rest of that story in a moment. There is an awful lot in this passage when I sat down and thought, oh, I could not never get that in. We'll never get that in in one morning. There are discussions about sin and its relationship to disease. In the old covenant, disease was seen as a punishment for sin. There are things about what was happening, how God would be glorified in this man's life. There's the element of what constitutes work on the Sabbath. The Pharisees considered that Jesus not only had he healed on the Sabbath, but he'd worked because he made clay spat on the ground and made the mud. He was making clay, so that's work. So they weren't too pleased. There's also might be some significance in that Jesus told the man to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Siloam was the pool where the water was taken to pour on the altar in the temple. However, I'm not going to cover any of those in detail this morning. There are two things that I want to focus on. One is that this um, proclamation from Jesus that he is the light of the world, And then what that means to individuals who encounter Jesus and who believe. Now, you thought you might get away with it this morning, didn't you? I'm sorry, I've got a piece of paper and I hope you've got a pen handy. Would somebody like to... When you get your piece of paper, you've got five minutes to look at particularly the top two statements on that piece of paper. The two parts that say... What's it like being unable to see? And the other side, which says, what does light do for us? Just in practical terms, have a think about what it might have been like to be that blind man in those days, how it might have been then, and then what does light do for us? Doesn't have to be a long essay. (laughs) That's a very quick five minutes, but if you're... I want us to have some time for prayer at the end, so I'm going to gather us together quickly. One of the things that I thought about when I was um, looking at those two sections in particular was how light, in the what does light do for us, completely expels the dark. There cannot be two things together, can there? You can't have light and dark in the same place. And there's a verse in a song which I've forgotten the title of, but one of the parts of it says, he wraps himself in light and darkness tries to hide. And it's very difficult for dark to hide (laughs) in the presence of light. And trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. Okay, so what's it like not being able to see? Have anybody got anything they'd like to share about that, that you've got on that side? Scary, Scary. Mm-hmm. yeah. Isolating. Isolating, yeah. Sorry, what did you say? Lonely. Lonely. Disorientating. Oh, no. Horrible. Yeah. Vulnerable. Vulnerable, yes. Helpless, Helpless, yeah. I don't know if you've seen sometimes um, there are adverts on the television for, um, I think they're called sight savers Um, in Africa. They work in Africa in particular and um, do a lot of the time do um, cataract operations for people. And you see people who have lost their sight and are being led by a little child because they can no longer find their way around. And what does light do for us, apart from banishing the dark? gives us an appreciation of things like beauty. Yes, you know, the... yes, that's right. And you said not being able to see is scary. Mm. When you have light, makes you feel much more secure. Mm-hmm. And as I said earlier, without light, things die. <laughs> Photosynthesis only occurs in the presence of light. And light. Yes, but you're warm and happy as well, and yeah, yes, yes. What a difference today makes compared to Thursday this week where it rained all day and I spent the whole day in the potting shed planting up dahlias. But yes. We can only work when it's light. That's what Jesus said in that passage. No one can work when it's dark. A lot of people work at night, but they don't work in the dark. They put on an artificial light, don't they? You can't actually work in the complete pitch black. I know there are, by God's grace, senses that blind people are given that enables them to function and to to um, be fruitful as well. But at its very basic, when it's black and dark and you can't see anything, it's not possible to work. It's not what you'd choose anyway. So is this just an illustration? this healing miracle of Jesus as the light of the world, bringing light to someone who was in darkness? I don't think so. There's a backstory here that enlarges on that theme and it brings to life how Jesus is light of the world. This is a significant person. That Jesus encounters here, the disciples just want to know this, you know, theological story. Oh, did this man sin? Did his parents sin? Is that why he's like that? There's this, you know, theological argument going on behind, and Jesus just says he goes to this man. He doesn't even not say, "Bring him to me." He he goes to him. And he spits on the ground and and does this healing. And he then tells the the man to go and do something he doesn't say to other people take him along to the pool he speaks to the man you can imagine it's one of those things isn't it that's not politically correct we have learned that it is not right to talk about disabled people as if they're not there you speak to them they are able to respond for themselves and Jesus treats this man as an individual he says to him go and wash that uh, mud off The man doesn't know who Jesus, he knows he's Jesus, but doesn't know who Jesus is. He doesn't understand the significance of the person who's speaking to him, but he understands this voice of authority and he has a glimmer of hope. We talk about glimmer of hope, we talk about glimmers of light. He has this glimmer of hope in his um, mind as Jesus tells him to go and wash and he obeys him. His healing is the result of his obedience and Jesus power and authority. But he can't explain it. All he can say is, I was blind but now I see. It was dark, now it's light. And we can only guess at how what that meant physically, socially, economically the man was begging, he couldn't work like other people work. He probably could not interact with other people in the same way as someone who could see and then we move on to verses 13 to 34 and I'm going to read them because I think they illustrate how much this is a story about Jesus touching an individual's life as well as demonstrating that he's light of the world they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind they probably took him to court because this was the Sabbath and it shouldn't have happened. And the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied. I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? And they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened? The man replied, "He's a prophet." This man goes up, moves on in his faith here. Not, not only did, can he say, "I was blind, but now I see," but even the questioning from the Pharisees has moved his faith on to, "Oh, he was somebody special. The Jews still did not believe they'd been blind and received his sight until they sent for his parents. Is this your son, they said? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it he can now see? And the parents just say, well, we know he's our son. Yes, we can't deny that. And he was indeed born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Now, they may have known because the man knew the name of the person it was. And now saying he's a prophet, but... They won't say because they're afraid. It was likely that anybody who acknowledged Jesus would be thrown out of the synagogue. And that was equivalent to excommunication. Basically, the synagogue was the centre of society. That was where their employment hung, their social interaction with people uh, was all centred around the synagogue. And if you were thrown out of the synagogue, you might not get employment. You'd be shut off from other people because you were considered, you know, Persona non grata. And um, they were probably afraid that they w- would be thrown out if they were to say that it was Jesus that healed their son. So they say, ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. Something else that indicates this man has had to be dependent and not able to work for himself or um, be um, able to do get on in life. For himself, he was still living with his parents, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was Christ would be put out of the synagogue. A second time, the Pharisees summoned the man who had been blind. "Give glory to God," they said. "We know this man is a sinner." They're not acknowledging that Jesus could possibly have done it, but God probably did. And he replied, "Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know." I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? They just can't get their heads around this. He answered, I've told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? This man is so emboldened, he's had his sight given to him by something miraculously happening, and he can then almost insult the Pharisees <laughs> by saying, you keep asking me the same things and you want to, do you want to follow him too? Knowing that that's not what they wanted. They hurled insults back at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from. Yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. He's thrown out the synagogue for what he says. And that, I think, sometimes is what happens to us. Um, We might be able to say what Jesus has done for us, and sometimes that draws persecution taunts and teasing upon us but for this man the pressure to explain moves him on again in his faith the Pharisees very questions help him to see that only God could have done this that this this person who healed him was not a sinner he was um, of God he doesn't know Jesus at this point but he longs to see him and what happens when Jesus hears about him being thrown out, he goes and finds the man. The man doesn't know where to find He's not seen him, has he? He was blind when Jesus put the, um, the uh, mud on his eyes. He hadn't seen him. So Jesus goes and finds him and says to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? A phrase that is the equivalent of saying, do you believe in the Messiah, in the Christ? Who is he, sir, the man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. And then this next verse I find really moving because it's, it's similar to the verse when Jesus talks to the woman at the well. And they're, in their questioning, Jesus says, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Is that not how it is with us when we have that personal encounter with Jesus? He is the one speaking to us, the son of God, God himself speaking to us. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. There are things that I want to just mention about this. And one of those is that you don't have to be very far along in your faith to be able to say something about your faith, about Jesus. This man, to start with, all he could say was, I was blind, but now I see. Something happened. And he can say that and say it as truth. By the end of it, he is believing in the Son of God. A couple of chapters further on in John, it's the following year, it's running up to Easter time, the trial and the crucifixion. And Jesus just after his public entry into Jerusalem, says, put your trust in the light while you have it, so that you might become sons of the light. Paul puts it like this in Ephesians, after saying, be imitators of God, which is shocking enough in itself. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. And in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus is giving his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells his listeners to let their light shine. You are the light of a world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. Your light shines not for personal gain, but to glorify God and to give honour to him. As children of light, God appoints us to shine. In Philippians, Paul says, Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Jesus is the light of life. I would encourage you, if you get the chance, to read the whole of John's gospel, but particularly John chapter 1 through to John chapter 12, because if you go back to the beginning of the gospel, you see it as a sort of whole picture. What are those words from the beginning of John's gospel? I'm going to pray and then um, I'm going to allow you to think about whether there are certain things in your life that you would like God to shine more in or that in a way that you would like to shine uh, more. So. There will be people around who are willing to pray with you if you don't feel well, I'll tell you what the things are that I'm suggesting you might like some prayer for, and then I shall ask those who don't feel they need prayer for. To wave their hands around so that they were available to pray if you feel that you're walking in the dark and you've yet to meet the light of the world do seek somebody to talk to about it this morning if as a son or child of the light you think you're not shining as you could maybe your light's under a I was going to say under a bushel, that's the old translation, isn't it? Don't hide your light under a bushel. If it's under a bowl, if it's hidden, for some whatever reason it is, if you feel that you could shine more, then seek prayer. And if you're in a situation in which you especially feel you need to be light, perhaps you're in a situation where you're aware that it's a dark place. And Jesus invites you to come back to the source of the light so that you can be the light in a dark place. I was really encouraged by um, what Claire said this morning about how um, how she enabled her aunt to meet with the Lord. It was so clear that you were a light in a place that could have been very dark. And lastly, seek prayer if you are aware there are shadows in your life. Sometimes we don't live like we're in the light. Sometimes we are in the shadows. You have met with Jesus. You have the light of life within you. But you're aware that there are places in your life where there are shadows that the light has yet to reach fully. God wants to shine his light into every part of our lives, not for judgment, but for life. The light of Jesus expels the darkness. Darkness tries to hide but God's light expels it. Like the blind man, we might need to obey Jesus and do something in response to his promptings. If you feel you could pray with people this morning, would you just wave your hands around? Because then those who need prayer will know who they can come to and then perhaps just hang about in here after the the meeting so that you can be available um, to people. Let me pray and then we'll allow you to seek God. Father God, I just want to thank you so much for your light, for Jesus, for the light of life. Thank you, Lord, for the revelation that you give in us as to how Jesus is our light and our life. Lord, I thank you so much that during the worship this morning, there was a definite sense that you come and seek us out. You come and you hold us. You reach out to us. You want us to believe and you meet with us. Thank you, Lord, that you went and sought out that blind man when he only had a glimmer of understanding as to who you were. And you opened up his eyes fully, his spiritual eyes, so that he can understand who you are, who you can be to him. Lord, enable us to let you into the shadowy parts of our lives. Thank you that you shine your light in. Show us where there might be parts that haven't quite come out of the shadows. And give us the courage to bring them to you and allow you to shine in. And Lord, give us boldness to be that light, that city on a hill, the light that's not under a bowl. A light by which others can see you. A light in a dark place which we so often meet in this world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.